How's everybody doing? Yes? How's school? Okay, okay, all right. I know last week and this week, I feel like everybody's coming in just a little tired, more so than where you were maybe a few weeks ago. Uh, but we are glad that you're here. I see a bunch of um, red bags, which tells me we have a bunch of first-time guests. And so, yes, I know. We try to make you as conspicuous as possible. You're welcome. And, uh, but we're so glad that you're here with us today. Um, you ready to jump in? Let's do it. All right. Uh, first, I'm going to need, I, I'm going to open up and you're going to have to help me out with the first part of this message. All right. So I want to ask you, I want to start out by asking you a question and I, I actually want you to give this some very intentional thought. I don't, I, I don't want you to just, you know, go with the first thing that comes to your mind necessarily. I want you to really think about what you would do in this scenario. And then I'm gonna grab a few of you and, and you're gonna give your answer and the why to your answer. So here's the question. We've been talking a lot about hearing God's voice, right? Spending time with him, the unique personalities we have in how we hear him, saying yes when he calls us to something. So I want you to pretend for a moment if you will, that uh, God's next directive to you, and, and you had to say yes because you've already agreed, you've committed to say yes to what God asks, is to do this. That you have to go to the nearest cemetery and pick a plot, and your job is to raise someone from the dead. All right? I just, just go with me on this, all right? I just want you to imagine you're in your prayer time or you're, you're somewhere and you're with the Lord and he says to you, here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to go to the cemetery and you have to raise someone from the dead, but I'm going to let you take one person with you. I want you to think about who you would want to take with you if your job was to raise someone from the dead. Okay, give that some thought for just a minute, right? Dun, 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 dun. All right, and, and why? Why you would choose them? All right. You feel like you've got some answers? This is a tough question because you don't want to make, you want to take somebody with you. I don't think you want to take someone with you that wouldn't be helpful, right? Okay. So, all right. Somebody raise your, who, who knows who they would take and why you would take them. All right. All right. I would take you because my faith is inadequate. You would take me? And I would go with you. We'd raise some people from the dead. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you for that. Who else? Who would you take? This side, you got nothing. Nothing. You got somebody? Yeah. Who? My mom. Your mom, why? Yeah. <laughs> Your mom, because you'd be scared. Hold me, hold me, you know. All right, what else? Anybody else got something different? Can you say it loud? You want to hear this? Here, I'll give you this. Um, I would take my grandma because she's pretty dramatic. <laughs> she ain't afraid of nothing. All right, anybody else? Are you loud? Do you need this? 
Yeah, because if they didn't believe in God, they're about to. <laughs> right? So they didn't have faith if things are about to get real. All right, anybody else got anything different? Who would you take? <laughs> yeah, I think it's smart to take a 12 stoner. All right. Um, if I'm doing that, if I'm thinking, who do I want to take with me? I got a couple people in mind. I would go one of two directions. I would want to either take someone that I believed really deeply in the power of their faith in their prayer life. So that... If at any moment, mine got weak, they're there, right? I'm going to want to take somebody that I feel like has a direct line to God. Or I would, like somebody else said, I would take someone that had no faith, that didn't believe, and I would be like, watch this, right? So let me ask you another question. Are you someone that someone else would want to take? Do you have the kind of faith and the kind of belief and the kind of connection to the Holy Spirit that things that seem impossible, miraculous, even supernatural, all of those things would become normalized in your life? Would you be the kind of person that someone would go, I would take them because if my faith was weak, theirs would be stronger. I would take them because they would have no fear. They would have no worry. They would just march in with full confidence and do it because God simply directed. Would you be that kind of person um, to do the impossible? Someone with a very strong, what I would say, heaven-to-earth connection. Heaven-to-earth. Their presence ushers in the presence of God. We're in the last week of long story short, and so there's a final story I want us to talk about today, and it's the story that I've been sitting in, um, honestly, for the last uh, year of my life. Just, It's a fascinating story to me. It's very short, but I read it over and over, and I just try and imagine myself in this scenario, or I just try and imagine being someone looking on. We're going to go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3. I love the book of Acts. If you ever wonder what the church is supposed to look like and how it started and what Jesus meant for the church, the book of Acts is what you want to read. It's full of some pretty extraordinary but true stories. Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read about two guys named Peter and John. You've probably heard of them before, two of the disciples. Not just two of the 12, but these are two of the inner circle. Like these are uh, the besties of Jesus. They're the ones he took with him everywhere. They were in the garden when he was arrested. They're the ones he takes up to pray. These guys everywhere. In fact, John in the books of the Bible that he wrote refers to himself as the one Jesus loved, right? So these guys were tight with Jesus. And so Acts chapter three, we're going to start in verse one. Well, let me set it up first, just so you know. So Jesus, um, we've been through the crucifixion and the resurrection, and he has gone back 
to heaven to be with his father and the Holy Spirit has come to earth and has inhabited uh, believers and Christians. And so while Jesus is no longer walking the earth, the Holy Spirit is on the earth and present in these disciples as they go into this passage. Acts chapter three. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. So how long had this man been unable to walk? Since when? Birth. His entire life. That's all he's known. He's literally never known anything else. And no one who knows him has ever known anything else of this man. And he's being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. This is so important. How did they look at him intently? Hold on to that for a minute. And Peter said, look at us. Which tells us as he asked for money, where was he likely looking? Down or around. He was not looking up. He was not looking at the people that he was asking for money. Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping. And so notice, like, he doesn't, it doesn't take him a little bit to get strength in his legs. He doesn't have to go work out for a while to build up muscle. Instantly, he was strengthened. He's leaping and praising God. He went into the temple with him. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. You know, I wonder how many of us settle for the money when God has the miracle. I wonder how many of us, like, we go before God and we're asking and we're asking for something because we think that it is the solution. We think that it is the answer to, to the deepest longing in our heart. We think that it is what we need most. And don't you think to look at this man, you would think that's what he needs most? You would look at him and think this man has not eaten. This man is, is unclean. This man is lonely. This man has nothing. I want to offer him food. I want to offer him money. I want to take him and get him. We would want to take him, but what he needed was a greater miracle that, that the average human being was not going to be able to provide unless they'd been with Jesus. And unless they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, listen to me. Their presence, having been in God's presence, connected to heaven and connected heaven to earth in that moment, and they themselves delivered the power and peace of God to this person. Men and women, they are no different than you. 
They were not God. They were not divine. They were not angelic beings. They were fully human, fully flawed. And they were vessels of God's power and peace. And it radically changed this man's life. Not just this man's, but it would have changed anyone looking upon this man. Yes? It's the same thing. Like when we talk about, would I bring my friend to the cemetery? Because you know who's, who's about to believe in Jesus? This guy that I bring it to the cemetery. Heaven touching earth. Sierra said that up here in a statement. And actually, she and I haven't really even talked about this, these notes as she said that. And I thought, God is so good that even as she's speaking, she's affirming what God wants to say to us tonight. Heaven touching earth. God's presence moving through you to other people. You all are likely 18 years of age or up. You're not much younger than they were. You have as much ability to do what they did. You have as much ability to live in freedom. You have as much ability to deliver God's peace and power. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. All right. But to do it, to get started, do we lock it? I'm going to move it. Here we go. To get started, I'm going to give you a little bit of, like, some heady stuff. Can we do that? Some theology stuff. You guys, you guys, right? You're ready for that. You can do that. So you might want to take some notes. I'm going to give you some head stuff, and then we're going to get to the heart stuff. But uh, I don't like to get to the heart stuff until we get to the head stuff because it's got to make sense. you got to know why you believe what you believe. If you don't know why you believe what you believe, then it falls short. You know, in a year or two, you're, you're not even going to walk in it anymore. So I'm going to give you the head so you can know it and understand it and then get to the heart. So let's go. So God's presence, there's a, there's a story to God's presence on earth. There's a history, if you will, to how God's presence has been manifested on the planet earth. And it all started in the garden. God was in the garden with Adam and Eve. You know this. In fact, we read in the book of Genesis that uh, God was in the garden and that Adam and Eve learned to recognize the footsteps of God. Can you imagine? Remember growing up when you learned to recognize the footsteps of like your mom or your dad or your siblings and you knew who was coming, right? Based on what it sounded like. Can you imagine recognizing the footsteps of God? God literally in the garden with Adam and Eve. And the reason that could take place is because Adam and Eve were perfect, holy, and God was holy. So they could be together and walk together and talk together in the garden because they were all perfect, but a, a holy God cannot exist with unholy, and they were all holy. So it worked. Until what? Until they jacked it up for all of us, right? Until they ate the dang fruit. And sin entered the world unholy. And a holy God cannot exist with an unholy people. And so there was a problem. And so Adam and Eve were then thrown out of the garden. And there were consequences. And God and man were separated. All right. Then God came up with a plan. Because God didn't want to be separated from his creation. He didn't want to be separated from his people. He'd created man and woman, and he wanted to be with them. But because holiness had to be present in order for that to happen, a new plan was enacted. So God's presence moved from the garden to what is called the temple. The temple. The temple is exactly what it sounds like, a very, very you know, beautiful, ornate building. And in the temple, 
animal sacrifices were used to atone for the sin of mankind. The reason is, um, when sin entered the world, that's when death entered the world. You, like Adam and Eve, they weren't supposed to, to die. Like sin or death entered when sin entered. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So death entered. So in order for, uh, for holy to be with holy, death had to be defeated and had to be atoned for. And so uh, the solution was that they would take an animal and an animal would die. And an animal would take our place and their blood would atone for our sin and sort of create this um, sort of, if you want to give it a, a different kind of a clean zone. The temple became a place where you could go and get clean. You could become holy again. And as long as you did the rituals and as long as you obeyed the religion and as long as the animal was sacrificed on behalf of you and as long as you did all of the things, then you could be in God's presence. This is not a great solution. I'm sure you can see why. Do you know that in order to remain clean back then, there were 613 laws you had to follow 613 rules that were part of the Jewish religion. If you do all these things, you can remain holy. If you do all these things, then you can actually connect with God. If you do all these things, God can actually stand to, lo stand to look at you again. Well, we have a hard time following the Ten Commandments, so you can imagine how it went with 613, right? It's impossible. No. Nobody could do it. Literally, no one could do it. I mean, then, then the whole world got wiped out because God got tired of that. Then you got Noah. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Like, no one could do this. And so God went, we, there, ha, there has to be a different plan. So God went from the garden to the temple. And God said, I'm not going to go through anything anymore. I'm just going to go straight there myself. And God with us, Jesus, came to earth. Jesus showed up on the scene. And Jesus became the final atonement for our sin. So that no longer do you and I have to go to the temple and make an animal sacrifice. No longer does there have to be a weekly death in order that you and I live. Jesus said, I am the final sacrifice. And Jesus is the only one able to beat death. So when it says the wages of sin is death, something had to happen where death was defeated finally. Jesus died, rose again, the devil gets a kick in the teeth, and you and I are made holy. When you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you are made holy. We talked about this last week, it's weird. It's weird to think of ourselves as holy, right? I mean, you don't walk around going, I am holy. Look at me. But, but if you're a Christian, you actually are. You are holy. We don't always live like it. We don't always act like who we are, but you are. And why did, they, why did the Father send his only son to die so that he might rise from the dead and be our final sacrifice? Why? So that he could be with us again. So that there would be a day that God and his creation, heaven, could meet earth again. 
and God would no longer be separated from his people. It's the greatest love story ever told. He so longed to be with us that he sent Jesus at Christmas time, and you more often hear the word Emmanuel, right? Which means God with us. But it didn't stop there. When Jesus came, heaven returned. John the Baptist said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven came to save humanity. But then after Jesus rose from the grave and, and, and said to his disciples, you're going to carry out my work, and he went back to heaven, something happened. Because when Jesus went back to heaven, and it was no longer Emmanuel, God with us, then we're left here unless God is with us in a different way. So God's presence moved to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, I don't, I don't know that we'll ever get our heads, like, I just, this is so hard for me to fathom. Trying to, the garden, full separation. The temple, a bunch of rituals that got you pseudo-connected through a priest, kind of. And then Jesus came, and it was Jesus in person on this earth, God with people. But the Holy Spirit is God in us. We are not God and we are not divine, but the Holy Spirit dwells within you. That should blow our minds. Like it should be extraordinary to us that Christians could even walk around as though we're defeated. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. So when we say, we talk about a silly story, like go to the cemetery and raise from someone from the dead, and we all go, what, huh, huh? It shouldn't seem that weird. The same spirit that lives in you, if you're a believer, is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and it resides inside of all believers. The Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God gifted us with his Holy Spirit, that his Holy Spirit might indwell his people, and his people are called the church. I don't know what you think of church or, you know, being a part of a church, but if you're a Christian, you're a member of the church, whether you knew that's what you were signing up for or not, because the church is the people of God. It's not a building, and it's not an institution. It's the people of God. So if the people of God are allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell them, wouldn't it only make sense that like Peter and John, God's power should start to move through us? Right? Wouldn't it make sense that stories like what we just read of Peter and John wouldn't uh, simply be contained inside the pages of Scripture? It should make sense to us that that same peace and power that they were able to deliver to that man should not only be in us, but we should deliver to other people. That's who Christians were called to be. That's what Jesus made possible. In fact, when Jesus um, looked at his disciples and he was getting ready to go back to heaven, do you know what he said? He said, all authority has been given to me, and now I give it to you. Now you go and do greater things. 
Jesus told his disciples to begin the church and said the church will do greater things. There's some pretty great stories. We've read some really great stories over these last few weeks. And to think that God longs to do more and greater. See, heaven through you is realizing and receiving the truth that authority over sin and death has actually been given to you. That you don't have to be victims of sin. You don't have to be victims of the enemy. You don't have to live a defeated life. Doesn't mean that life's not hard. Doesn't mean there aren't hard things. Doesn't mean there's not painful things. It doesn't mean that we don't have things that we have to push through and deal with and people we have to deal with and all kinds of disappointments. What it does mean is that we have, the, we have access to the power and peace that takes us through them. It means that we get to emerge as victorious rather than victims. I, um, I'm a church girl. I think I told you that before. I'm just a church girl. I believe in the church. It's very broken, but it's also really beautiful. People are very flawed, but uh, I think they're pretty phenomenal. Uh, in fact, I always say to people when people have a problem with the church and they want to try and go find the perfect church, and I'll say, well, you, good luck to you, um, but if you find the perfect church, you should never go because you will jack it up. You will mess it up. You will take your imperfect self into a perfect church and ruin what they have going. There is no perfect church because it's made up of people. But I'm a church girl because I believe that's what Jesus established to carry out his work because um, Jesus is coming back someday. I don't know if you believe that or not. And he's not coming back as a baby in a lowly manger surrounded by animals. He's coming back riding an animal breaking through the clouds as victor and champion and ruler of the universe. That's what's happening when he returns again. And he's coming back for the church. So because I'm a church girl, I like to imagine what church as a glimpse of heaven might look like. If we let the Holy Spirit really do a work in us and work through us, what, might, what, would, what would I imagine it look like? I imagine this for C12. What would C12 look like? Um, if we let the Holy Spirit do his work in us and through us. I, I imagine, and I'm going to give you, I don't know if you all know this, I used to be an English teacher. So I'm going to give you a list of things that I imagine to be inside the life of the church. They all start with the same letter because I can't help it. It's like that alliteration thing. It's the English teacher thing. Just accept it. It's part of who I am. I enjoy it. So all of these uh, start with the letter F. But, the, but one of the things that I believe would be part of life of the church would be a fear of God. And I don't mean an unhealthy fear of God like he's going to come and like take you out at any given moment. I mean, instead of picking and choosing the parts of God we like, we would actually worship all of who he is. Instead of picking parts of scripture that we like and don't like, I'm going to follow this, but I really don't like this, and so I'm going to pretend it's not there. We would actually have such a healthy fear of a holy God, aware that he brought us into this world and he could take us out, 
aware that he rules and governs all of the universe, I'm so aware of his power that we would live in a healthy fear of him or we would choose holy over happy and we would um, allow him to transform us. I also think in the church there would be a fullness of love. I imagine church to be a place that, um, can you all see this? I imagine church to be a place that grace and truth exists, where it's okay to not be okay when you get here. It's just not okay to stay that way, right? Where everybody's welcome, but it's because we know anything's possible. I imagine church to be a place where there's a fullness of worship. I think we're close, don't you think? I think we're getting there. A fullness of worship. Where it doesn't depend on the song. It doesn't depend on our preferences. It doesn't depend on whether we like something or not. We just can't contain what God has done in and through us. We just literally can't contain it. And it doesn't matter if you're a singer or not. I always think if somebody doesn't like to sing, they're going to hate heaven. They're just going to hate it. Like if you don't like singing and worshiping, you don't want to go to heaven. You just don't. Because it's that for all of eternity. And if you think it gets wild in here, you have no idea. Like when you read the Bible about what the throne room of God looks like, it's crazy. There's things flying and, and people are on their faces, just laying flat on their faces, just in full abandoned worship. I mean, I'm telling you, I will be running around the room. Like, <laughs> I'm just telling you, heaven is going to be nonstop worship for all of eternity. Like, I think when, you know, God, when heaven looks down on nights like this or on moments like this, and it, and it looks like a reflection of heaven, I think God is so pleased. I think when heaven looks down and the church looks like this, and I don't know, and, you know, I'm drinking my drink, and, uh, you know, I just think they go, what? What? No. We serve a holy God who like came to be with us and put his Holy Spirit inside of you. How can you have power in you and look so powerless? How can you actually have the creator of the universe indwelling within you and you seem bored? How can you have this God who so intricately wove together your body and your brain and the nervous system and the flesh and the muscles to make it work as it does that we can actually learn and articulate speech in multiple languages and we can absorb information? How in the world can we live inside of that and then when we come together, we just sort of think, oh, I don't like this song. I just cannot worship to this. I don't understand, Right? I just imagine, like, I imagine your generation fully abandoned in worship. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine blowing this room out and having to take over the worship center? Blowing it out and, and just filling that place with all of the faces that you see everywhere all over your campuses and in your workplaces and in your careers and in your job, all of those people, can you imagine what it would look like if all of them, that place holds 2,500 people, can you imagine what it would look like all of them abandoned in worship? Wouldn't that be a reflection of heaven? 
I imagine in the church there being a freedom from sin, a pursuit of holy, living victoriously. And I imagine there to be a fierce passion for those far from God. Where we cared less about what people think of us than we do whether or not the people that were in our lives are going to heaven or hell. I don't know if you believe in hell or not, but I can assure you there is one. And we all get to choose. And the people you know get to choose. God is a God of love. Because he's a God of love, we get to choose. And he always chooses us, but we have to decide to choose him. And do we have a sense of urgency for lost people? Somebody had a sense of urgency for you. Somebody did. Somebody urgently and in a compelling way wanted to see you come to know Jesus. Are you doing that for anyone else? Who are you doing that for? I want to see heaven unleashed through us and around us. But here's what has to happen first. It has to be unleashed in you. And before the power comes, there's a purifying that has to happen. I think I said this quote a couple weeks ago, but I wanted to share it with you again. It goes like this. The Holy Spirit is imprisoned in the bodies of unbelieving believers. The Holy Spirit is imprisoned in the bodies of unbelieving believers. With the Holy Spirit inside of you not accessing his power and peace is similar to if you went to the grocery store and then chose to walk home with your groceries even though you have a car. Or bringing the groceries home and laying them on the counter and letting everything go bad even though there's a refrigerator. It's like having access to something that saves something and never using it. Would someone take you to the cemetery? I don't know. But purification precedes power. We read stories, I read stories like Peter and John, and I, and, you know, and I imagine those kinds of things still taking place today. But what I know is that didn't just happen to them without some hard work. I mean, remember Peter denied Jesus? He cut off some guy's ear. He was a little irrational. Peter was a little emotional. Made a ton of mistakes. Got so scared about everything that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, his very best friend dying, Peter was nowhere to be found. And this is the guy that started the church. This is the guy who pulled the lame man up and healed the lame man by the power of the Holy Spirit. That same guy that was so flawed and made so many mistakes did that. But the only way he got to that power is by letting God purify him first. By going through all of that. I was debating today when I was looking over this, like what story I wanted to share with you. And I just kept coming back to this one. And I don't even, and I didn't, I don't know if I just didn't want to talk about it because it's very real time. You know, often illustrations when somebody speaks, they're about, well, this happened back then. And now here's the great results of it. And it's a great story. 
but when I was thinking about the power of the Holy Spirit moving through you and then um, but letting him purify you first, I couldn't get past this. So, you know, we've talked about a little bit about Jeff and I's story and, you know, that at the age of 11, he was introduced to pornography and then it became a big problem in his life. And we've talked about that and what it did inside of our marriage and his redemption from that, his healing from that. And one of, one of our prayers is that since we've had children, especially since we've had a son, is that that would not be his struggle. That as parents, we were just so committed to protecting him from that. And um, shielding him from that. You know, you never want someone else, especially when you're a parent and you have a child, you just never want them to have the struggles you've had. Judah's eight, by the way. Um, and he is Jeff in a little body. He's just, ah. so that's Judah. Um, and... A while ago, he was he liked he liked to watch this show on YouTube called Tiny Toys. It's a bizarre little show about tiny toys. <laughs> um, you know, again, he's eight, and um, and then not too long ago we discovered that um, he wasn't even trying and stuff just started to pop up like it does. There was fully inappropriate and things I would never want my eight-year-old to see. And he's eight. So he clicks on it. And he becomes exposed to things as an eight-year-old that we prayed he would never be exposed to. And so I start to think to myself, do I believe what I teach? That um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this thing doesn't have to have a hold on him. And so we begin to have conversations with him, you know. And, of course, there's like, you know, no iPad for you and, and things like that. He hears that as a consequence. And we say it's not a consequence. It's not a punishment. We're not punishing you. We're protecting you. We're going to fight for your mind and for your heart, buddy. And the way that you get impure out is to fill yourself with pure. The way you get lies out of your mind is to fill yourself with truth. Because the more full you are of truth, the less room there is for lies. That's only logical, correct? If you have a container, there's only so much room. 
the more you fill it with one thing, the less room there is for the other. So the more we fill with truth, the less room there is for lies. And so we have been having these conversations with him. And he said to um, us, he goes, I just think I can't make good decisions. I'm always going to make this bad decision. And I wonder, he's eight, but I wonder how many of you, how many adults literally think you can't do the right thing? That you can't be free of something, that you can't push past something, that something just has a hold on you, or you can't break free of what, you know, your parents were, you can't break free of memories, or you can't break free of wounds, or you can't break free of lies that have been spoken to you, you can't break free of someone that's trying to keep you down, or of a career that you can't stand, or you just think you'll never be free of whatever this thing is that feels so heavy to you. I felt like Judah sitting there looking at us a little tiny innocent face going, I just don't think that I'm ever going to be able to make right decisions. And as an eight-year-old, we're saying to him, buddy, yeah, you can. You believe in Jesus, and you've accepted Jesus into your life, and because that exists, even as an eight-year-old, you have power over sin. You have power over the enemy. And, the, and I told him last night, the enemy's whispering into your ear that you are stupid because he thinks like that you made a stupid decision, and so now you're stupid, and, and you're hearing all of these things, and that is not God. That's the devil. So we're filling in with truth, and reading scripture and he's listening to worship music just because he loves it anyway and he um replacing every lie he believes with truth with telling him who he actually is in jesus and praying with him that he would continue to grow up to be a worshiping warrior but i was and i was thinking about this message tonight and we're talking about living in power and we're talking about this peter and john story of being able to help up the lame person which i believe is what god has designed us all to be and to do but before we can be and do that we are the lame person that needs to be helped up that we might experience god's power and peace and it is in the same manner that that uh that we can deliver it, that you can receive it. There's a purifying that has to go in, on inside of you before power can move through you. Would someone take you to the cemetery? What's keeping you from experiencing the fullness of the measure of God? Christianity for a lot of people today is this. I believe in God. I prayed a prayer and gave my life to him. I checked the box. I even got baptized. And then maybe joined a church. And maybe even read the Bible a little bit every now and then and a Christian that tries to just be a good person but even with all of those things, do you know that your life can still look no different than the rest of the world?
Jesus didn't do what he did so that we could still live by some kind of religious list of rules. He did what he did so that we could have a relationship with him. So that we could live empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that we could live in purity. Y'all, the early church was no joke. And I don't think the church today is supposed to be a joke. I think it's supposed to be you and me. And every other person that God draws to himself. Constantly laying ourselves before the Lord in purification. Saying, do in me whatever you want to do. Purify my mind. Purify my heart. Forgive me from this. I confess this. Purify me from that and then do a work through me that I could be power and peace to someone else. Would you bow your heads with me and the band's going to come. You know, um, with your heads bowed, I don't think I really even intended for, like, the message to feel quite that heavy, but it just does. And, and perhaps it's because in my real-time life, I'm walking out with my child the very thing I'm trying to tell you tonight. And so it weighs on me and the idea of living a pure life in a world that makes it nearly impossible. But it's so that we could live a powerful and free life. So as we sit for a couple of minutes and the band just starts to kind of play. I just want you to sit with the Lord and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit what needs to be purified in you. Would someone take you to the cemetery because they would trust that God's power moves through you, that your faith is big, that your belief is strong? Is there any anger in there, any bitterness in there? Hidden sin, unforgiveness, anxiety, worry. Unbelief. Ask him to purify you. And I got to tell you, just know that purifying is never uh, a painless process. It usually means there's got to be something removed from your life, and that can be a hard thing.
honestly, y'all, we don't come in this room and gather here just to make ourselves feel good while it is fun. But we're here to do very serious business with the Lord. Otherwise, what's the point? I mean, what's the point of all of it if we're not going to let him change us? You know, and then I know there's probably areas in your life that maybe you just feel powerless and weak. And you need a miracle. You need a Peter or a John to walk up to you. Or you, you long to be able to be a Peter or a John that can go up to a person that you love that is hurting. And bring about peace. Just go ahead and tell the Lord and just pray over that area that you need to see power happen. You need peace to just descend upon it. And Lord, I pray over every man and woman sitting in this place tonight. And, I, and Lord, I pray that in this moment they would know how deeply loved they are by you. How deeply, deeply loved they are by you. You designed them and you made them. You created them and you see them. You have a future for them. You have a plan for them. Lord, I pray that we would be a group of people, that we would be men and women willing to let you purify us, willing to let your Holy Spirit do his work in us so that you might move through us. Lord, I pray that as a result, if even this evening, that we would have our own stories of miracles. We would have our own stories of salvation. We would have our own stories of the Holy Spirit being manifested by power and peace across campuses and across workplaces and inside of businesses and in parking lots and in cars and just perfect strangers that we meet, that we just that we know you said, hey, pray for that person. And we go and we do that because we're so walking in step with the spirit because we're allowing the spirit to purify us and the power becomes overwhelming. Father, I pray for these men and women, Lord, that wherever they lack peace and wherever anxiety rules and wherever worry has taken over or sadness has dug a root, Lord, or wherever unforgiveness and bitterness, Father, or wherever, you know, as they've come out of their homes and they're no longer living with their families and, and they're realizing that what they've come out of wasn't as healthy as what they thought it was. And they're dealing with all the hurts and the wounds and the pains of what has been. And they want new, Father, I pray new upon this room this evening, Lord. I pray for new stories to be told and new legacies to be left and freedom to be experienced from the bondage of sin and chains. I pray for the lame to walk and the blind to see. I pray, Father, that when the word is open, 
open, that the pages would, would, would be fresh and new and the words would just leap off and take root inside of our souls. Father, I pray where there have been wounds in the church that those would be healed. Father, I pray that this would not be just another evening that we meet and not where we sing some songs and we sit in a seat and there's a message. Father, but I pray that this would be a moment that we actually decide to hear you and receive you, Father. I pray that you would give gifts to your children today. Uh, Father, I pray that, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give gifts to your children today. I pray that you would bestow gifts of leadership and teaching and wisdom and discernment. Father, I pray that you would just lay upon them the gifts that they've never knew existed. And for the ones that are there, that you would breathe on them, Lord. I pray that you would give clarity to calling. I pray for those that are in the room and they have no idea what they're going to do. And there's so much pressure to know what they're going to do. And they're, they're every day spending time preparing for something. And they're not even sure it's what they want to do. Father, I pray that you would give them a vision and a picture and a desire for a future that is from you. That is not their agenda. It's, it's not their own thoughts and emotions. But, it's you, but they're yours. Father, I pray where there is pain and suffering physically that there would be healing. I pray in this moment, in this very moment, that everyone in this room would feel your Holy Spirit wrap, wrap his arms around them and fill them from the top of their heads to the tip of their toes. Lord, you said all authority had been given to you on heaven and earth, and you give that to us. So by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, Father, I just declare freedom in this place and salvation in this place and healing in this place and clarity in this place and joy, Father, and dancing and praising and worship and hope and love and acceptance and forgiveness and freedom. Father, I pray freedom, freedom, freedom over this place, Lord, that there would just, we would all leave here freer than we came. going to lead us in a, in a song. And here's what I want you to do. You can stay sitting in your seat. You can use this up front as, as an altar. Looking around the room, there's a lot of tears, a lot of heads down, a lot of arms on shoulders. And in this space, as we worship through this song, whether you're looking for peace or power, I don't know. This room is, it's a, it's a room and you can use it however you want. You can take whatever space you want for these next few moments. And let's just go very vertical. 
Let's be a reflection of heaven. Let's lift our praises to the God that gives us life and breath and hope. Let's sing.
you know you're loved that's the amazing thing about God is that like no matter what's in us that he wants to purify us from no matter what we've done or what our story is or it just doesn't matter like that's what's so because it doesn't work like that with humans right we mess up and humans reject us it's not that way with God that's not how it works Grace is something that I just don't even begin to comprehend. But he offers it. And if we're willing to hear the truth and that grace comes, 
I think that's when we can begin to experience the peace and the power that the Holy Spirit intends for us to experience. Um, I'd like to, I want to bring it back up a little bit. I want us to leave here. I like to leave here very vertically minded so that all the horizontal mess that's around us like makes more sense, you know? So we go from here to out there. It's just, we get, you know, we look at God and that's whose face we see and that's who we chase and that's who we pursue. Like when we look up at the Father and we just up toward heaven. And so we're gonna sing a final song together and then I'll close this out. Before we do, just know this, that um, if, you, if it's your first or second or third time here tonight, and we would love, we would love to connect with you, and it's our um, connect night. I forget what we call it. What do we call it? Monthly connect. Thank you, Chandler. What that means is when you leave this room and you just go out these doors right here, there's a, a room there, and there's volunteers and leaders back there, and we would love to just meet you and get you connected to what's happening here at C12. And so again, if you're newer with us, you can go out these doors when we're done and just make your way to that room and you'll see people there and all kinds of things. Um, and then if you don't wanna wait again for another week to worship together, we worship together. This ministry, I mean, there's services all day, but we sit in a section reserved for just us at 11 o'clock on Sunday. And so if you wanna meet us here at Central Campus in the big worship center at 11 o'clock, you'll see uh, a bunch of people that look just like you in filling up that section. And we worship together and we just connect and it's always good to not spend a whole seven days until we see each other. Next week, Miles will be here. And I don't, how many of you were here last time he was here? Okay, uh, right. So I guess there's a part two. And if you don't know what I'm talking about because you weren't here, it just gets wild. Gets wild and we don't record it and we don't put it out there for HR purposes. Uh, but Miles will be here next week as we start the September series and he's gonna kick it off. And uh, when he comes next week, we're also gonna get to make a uh, really exciting announcement for the future of C12. You know, we've been in transition that many of you know, um, kind of been in this interim period of, of C12 and what it would look like in the future and those kinds of things. And we're gonna be able to tell you some of that next week. So you're gonna to wanna to be here for that, all right? Uh, but let's worship in one final song together and then the band will dismiss you.
Sunday. Be sure to be here at 11 a.m. Bye, friends. <laughs>